Well, again, welcome. It's your third time you've been welcomed, so I really hope you feel very welcomed. Real quick, uh, just to uh, highlight, actually, just two things uh, that are happening, uh, one immediately and uh, one that's happening uh, in about a month and a half time, but just to put on your radar, uh, we've been going uh, the last five weeks, we've been doing a series called uh, I Love the Church, and uh, this has served as our uh, church membership, uh, and really it's just walked through the gospel. We've talked everything of uh, what the Bible is and how we even got the Bible and how to understand the Bible understanding who God is and how we can relate with God. Uh, we talked about the gospel and just what it means, uh, the, what the good news is. Last week, uh, we talked about mission. And then tonight, um, even if you haven't come to any of the I Love the Church uh, uh, classes on Sunday nights, uh, tonight would be a good night because uh, it's really going to be more driven by uh, questions and answers. Um, questions you have about uh, us as a church, where we are, what we're doing, where we're where we're going and how we're going to get there. So whatever questions you've been wanting to ask, uh, whether it's about leadership, whether it's about just anything in the church, finances. Uh, but tonight, the big, really the message is going to be, what does it look like to be in covenant community uh, with this community? Uh, I heard a phrase probably years ago, the idea of there's a lot of people who just date the church. Uh, and tonight, we're uh, going to be talking about moving from a dating relationship uh, to being in a covenant relationship with someone. As you know, with dating, if you've ever dated, when you've gotten done dating with that person, you can move on to the next person. But in the church, we want to talk about what's it look like to have a covenant relationship uh, where people can speak into your life and you can speak into their life and you don't bail when it gets hard. Uh, so come tonight for that, but also just to ask questions about what we're doing and where we are. And then uh, six weeks from now, uh, we do this now just once a year in the summers, uh, towards the end of the summer, uh, we do what's called a get drenched uh, service, which is our baptism service. So if you've never been baptized, which is just publicly professing, I love Jesus, I'm on his team, I want everyone to know, uh, that's what baptism uh, really is. And so whether you're brand new to the faith um, over the past few months, or you've been a Christian for a long time but just never have been baptized, uh, we do it in a, a little ocean called the Atlantic Ocean uh, at Winger Sheik Beach. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool getting baptized uh, outdoors uh, in the ocean as opposed to a hot tub. So, uh, so I'm a big fan of this uh, outdoor service uh, we do. So if you want to get baptized, uh, get drenched as it were. Um, that's coming on September 19th. So we won't actually have church here. We'll be at a beach in Wingersheek. That's Gloucester, right? Some, yes, that's Gloucester. So... Uh, this is my friend uh, P.W. Gopal. Uh, he has known me just as long as my wife has known me. We've known each other now for about 20 years. Uh, we go back all the way to our days at The Ohio State University, the greatest university in, in the universe, dare I say. It is clearly God's school, and um, God's favor rests upon us. Not always, but uh, sometimes. And, uh, but P-Dub has been uh, a best friend over the better part of the last two decades. So uh, anytime he was uh, up this week playing at uh, Soul Fest, a big Christian concert festival. Uh, and so he was in town. And so I'm excited that he uh, offered to come and lead worship uh, with us today. Uh, so before we jump into the message, one of the great gifts uh, of P-Dub is not just his heart for, uh, for Jesus, but his heart for people. 
Uh, and if you're familiar with his music, um, he's a phenomenal storyteller as he travels. He's been doing pro professional music for about 12 years, something like that, 10 years, give or take. Seven years. We're tight. <laughs> we are tight, I tell you. See, one of the things about being best friends is you always exaggerate for them. Thanks for laughing, Tristan. I love you, man. Um, I love that uh, the kids have such enthusiasm to run back to Genesis Kids. So maybe next week when you guys walk into the building, you could just sprint towards this room uh, just like our kids do. Uh, we're in a series uh, in the book of uh, Proverbs uh, this summer. And uh, we've covered lots of um, uh, different topics as uh, Proverbs covers so much. And uh, last week, uh, we looked at uh, the marriage relationship and specifically uh, what's the purpose of marriage and how do you build a marriage uh, that's meaningful, that's biblical, that's healthy, that's enjoyable. And um, today, we're going to talk about uh, parenting, um, which seems like a good message to follow marriage because... If you stay married for at least nine months, there's a potential um, that kids might show up. Um, but uh, parenting is really hard. Um, and it would be easy to assume just because you might not be a parent right now that uh, something like this just is not going to connect with you. Uh, but as I consider uh, parenting... Uh, we're growing in diversity uh, of demographics here, and what I mean by that is diversity of stories. And so uh, there will be some parents here today that have kids who have grown up and moved out of the house, um, and they don't have the same level of influence or impact uh, on their kids that maybe they once did. And so they will listen to maybe a message like this and be like, why didn't I do this, or why didn't I consider that, or they see that their kids uh, are, have not grown up to be uh, the sons and daughters that they really had hoped to be. And I don't mean status in life, I mean uh, relationship with God. Um, then there's some parents who look like me. I'm a parent of seven years now. I've got three kids, uh, three awesome kids. Uh, but parenting is really hard. It can be tiring. It can be very exhausting. And uh, I thought marriage, uh, God was using marriage to refine me sanctify me, uh, to mature me, to grow me. Uh, but then kids came along and I was like, wow, I, I thought I was done, but clearly I've got such a long way to go. Um, and this message might resonate with you because you're in the thick of it right now. You've got kids, whether they're infants or five-year-olds or 10-year-olds, and you're trying to figure out what the heck do I do uh, with this little human? Uh, I just don't know what to do. Um, and then the song that uh, P-Dub was just singing uh, is really written about the story of uh, a broken uh, woman. And um, you might not be married and you might not have kids, uh, but you have parents. Uh, and as he mentioned uh, just in passing, uh, some of us have picked up so many issues and so much baggage uh, that was passed on to us or inherited by us by our parents. And so the very thought or even mention of parent or parenting, it just... You get chills up and down your spine because of what you saw in a home growing up. Maybe your home was broken, uh, or maybe your home was together where mom and dad was there, but mom and dad just did nothing but just 
rip each other's heads off. Uh, and there was a lot of neglect or abuse or just shame that was placed on you. Um, and so when you think about parenting, that's the best you can think about is what you've seen, what you've endured. And the thought of actually being a parent one day maybe is terrifying because you just didn't see something good. Um, I want to just uh, to invite you to pray, um, just quietly where you're sitting. And if you're a parent and your kids have grown up out of the house and they've moved on, I just want you to pray for them, uh, wherever they are right now and whatever they may be doing. Would you just pray for them? And if your parents um, in the thick of it right now, meaning your kids are still living with you, um, whether they're one years old or 18 years old, um, would you take time just to pray for your children? Uh, I'm pretty convinced I don't pray enough for my kids, and I pray daily for my kids, which I don't think is enough. Um, so take a few minutes just to pray uh, that God, and if your kids are here, pray that God would actually do something back there with them. Not to change behaviors, uh, but to change hearts. Um, and if you're here and you're thinking the whole parenting thing has just been, uh, you've got a lot of hurt, uh, I would encourage you, uh, if you can muster the grace um, to pray for your parents, that wherever they are, that God would just bless them. Uh, no matter the pain or hurt that they have caused, uh, that, as P-Dub just mentioned, uh, there's nothing that is beyond redeeming. So maybe your prayer would be that God would redeem what was done uh, and redeem a mom and a dad uh, who didn't do such a good job. Um, so would you pray for your parents or your children uh, just right now before we jump into Proverbs? Father God, I'm convinced that uh, every time we open up the Bible, uh, you speak to us. So, uh, God, this is uh, an interesting message, but maybe very difficult, actually, for people who are here because of uh, parents uh, that we have had and grown up with, um, or we're in the midst of it right now of trying to figure out how to do this thing called parenting. So, uh, God, I just pray that uh, you would speak to every heart that's here, and uh, God, you know where everyone is. Uh, and I'm thankful for that. And so I just pray, God, that you would bring people in this place today uh, to where you want them to be. Uh, God, I thank you for my parents. I give thanks that uh, my parents loved me, uh, even when I was just a rebellious punk of a kid. Uh, they didn't give up on me, and they were absolutely just faithful. So, uh, God, I give thanks uh, for them. Um, so, God, please uh, open our eyes uh, today uh, to Scripture. Open our ears to ultimately hear from you. And by your grace, give us courage to uh, respond uh, to you in this place. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the last 10 years, um, I'm pulling this from uh, George Barna, who is uh, a statistician, a uh, student of Christian community as well as just cultural, uh, secular culture. And uh, one of the things that he said in one of his books is that in the past 10 years alone, uh, 
Anyone want to take a guess how many books have been written on the subject of parenting? Throw out a number, somebody. Ten years, just in the last ten years. 22,000. 22,000. No. Keep going, it's higher. 75,000. Mike Shaw is the winner. That is exactly correct. He is already studying to be a parent. He's about 70,000 books in, 5,000 more to go. Keep pressing on. 75,000 books on parenting. And as I considered that, uh, I was like, wow, we really don't have a clue how to parent. There is so much literature on parenting. And it's either because parenting is just so hard and difficult, we just really don't know what to do, or the kids in our culture uh, are getting more and more difficult, we just don't know what to do. Um, Interesting enough, um, who do you think reads more of the parenting books, moms or dads? Thank you. It is, it is not dads, but thank you anyways. Uh, moms make up 80% of the literature read on parenting, which is a phenomenal statistic. Uh, if you were to just do a basic Google or even Amazon search for books on fatherhood, uh, there are not many written. And in one of the things that I read this week is there are not much that is written on fatherhood uh, because the audience who they're trying to get to read books do not read books on fatherhood. And the audience of moms reading books on fatherhood doesn't make much sense. So there's books on being a mom and there's books on parenting. uh, And there are a few books on fatherhood, uh, but the market is so driven on moms uh, who are seeking to study and learn and grow as moms and as parents. Um, by raise of hand, if books is not your thing, uh, culture, at least over the last 50 years, uh, has modeled parenting for us. So who grew up watching, you're going to date yourself here if you raise your hand on this one. Anyone remember the show Family Affair? All right. Thank you for being honest back there. Uh, Family Affair, uh, that was a TV show that modeled really a dad with, and don't get the idea of family affair, uh, back in the 50s, affair didn't necessarily mean what it means now. Uh, it was about a dad and his, and his uh, two kids. How about uh, anyone grow up on Leave it to Beaver? We're approaching the 60s. All right, thank you. Mike Shaw, really? Leave it to Beaver. All right, Nick at night. Still currently watching. Awesome. Uh, Walton's? Any Waltons people? Okay, good, wholesome Walton. Every night they would say goodnight to everyone in the house and uh, paint this picture that that's what really happens. Um, How about uh, Little House on the Prairie? Any Laura Ingalls fans? Yes? All right, wow. Anyone still want to be Laura Ingalls? Go ahead. All right. Um, Uh. Parenting took a turn, I think, for the worse in the 70s. There was a TV show uh, called All in the Family. Archie, anyone remember? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Archie, uh, you know, I don't think they could get away with a TV show like that um, now, but uh, there was uh, All in the Family. Uh, Brady Bunch uh, was really the first TV show that introduced 
uh, a divorced man and a divorced wife coming together so happily, and they just coincidentally happened to have three boys and three girls all of the same age. It was phenomenal how that all worked. Um, then there's the Adams family. Anyone remember them? So if you ever felt like your family was dysfunctional and you had issues, you could at least watch the Adams family and be like, wow, at least we're not like that and we don't look like that. So you've got them. Uh, the Partridge family, the most talented family in America. Anyone? No? Okay. No fans? Uh, what was the Partridge family's guys? Uh, David? See? I knew what his name was. I just wanted to see if you knew what his name was. David Cassidy, poster child in the 80s. Uh, family Ties, Alex P. Keaton. Anyone? Okay. That was a good one. Uh, Cosby Show. All right. Uh, here's really in the mid-90s, uh, again, we started to go backwards to um, uh, All in the Family, uh, Archie Bunker with uh, a man named Al Bundy. Anyone? Okay. That portrayed really what a good marriage looks like uh, with Al Bundy and his relationships with his kids. Uh, then, I don't know when The Simpsons came out. I think it came out in the 50s, but it's been going on forever and won't leave. Um, and then I've actually never seen this TV show, but uh, it's called The Family Guy. Anyone? Okay. I don't know if I should recommend it or not, but uh, all of this to say, we've got literature, we've got TV shows, all shaping, forming, influence how we think about the family and how we think about marriage and specifically where we're headed today of how we think about parenting. Um, and I'm pretty convinced parents need as much help as we can get because there's two approaches usually when you think about parenting. If you're a parent, this might be your current approach, uh, or if you're going to be a parent one day, this could be your approach of, I'm just going to do what I saw. Whether it was good or bad, that's all I know, and I'm just going to do that very thing. This is how dad treated us. This is how dad treated mom. This is how mom treated dad. This is how mom treated us. I'll just do that. Good, bad, or whatever, that's all I've seen. Second approach could just be, I'm going to do the complete opposite of what mom and dad did. Uh, and usually people who parent like that is because they would deem their parents to be really bad, neglectful, hurtful parents. So I'll just do the very opposite of whatever mom and dad did. The problem with just doing what you've seen done or doing the opposite of what you've uh, had done to you does not necessarily mean that that's God's design actually on the family or God's design on parenting. So really the big question that I want to ask is what's the point? What's the purpose in parenting? I think too many parents or too many couples, they get together and it's just well, we're supposed to have kids, so let's just start having kids. And they don't really have any good reason to have kids. Uh, and sometimes people have kids as a way to actually stick together, that kids will somehow solve problems that are already pre-existent, uh, pre-existing. Uh, and if you've ever done that, you'll realize real quickly, actually kids only amplify the issues we've already got. So if you are a parent, or if you're thinking about being a parent, I just want to ask a very basic question of why. Do you know what the purpose of parenting actually is. So if someone came up to you and said, why do you have kids? Well, we're married and that's what you do. Well, I, I don't know. I hope that's not the reason. I hope there's a greater purpose, meaning, or reason uh, to have kids, to bring kids into this world. Uh, so my hope today is to clearly articulate what's the purpose of having kids? What's the purpose of parenting? Uh, and then finish just with Three things that I think Proverbs teaches of here's the purpose of parenting 
And then here's three things, according to Proverbs, of what it looks like to be not just a good parent, uh, but a godly parent, a biblical uh, parent, uh, where you can raise your kids uh, and the chances that they will walk in the way that you did, meaning if you were walking with God, that they will follow suit. Now, I've already mentioned this, but it's easy to say this is totally, I'm not there, I'm not a parent, I'm not in that season of life, so come back next week. Uh, and I just don't want you to check out because you just don't think parenting has anything to do with you. It'd be easy to do. But as I consider why you should check in or stay in or stay engaged, if you honestly want to be a biblical person, uh, you have to learn what the Bible has to say about anything and everything, even if it doesn't have to do with the season of life you find yourself in. Being biblical means I'm well-versed in all of Scripture, uh, and I know how to apply Scripture even if it's not in the season of life I'm in. Second reason is, I know for me, uh, I remember, uh, you know, Kyla was thinking she might be pregnant, and so we did the pregnancy test, and I, you know, I remember just being right there, and we're like, okay, we've got uh, about three minutes, and this stick is either going to change colors or it's not. And I never watched the stick so intently, and um, the stick changed colors. And we both looked at each other like, wow, according to the box, this is 99% accurate that if the stick changes colors, we're pregnant. And I could be honest with you, I honestly had not put too much thought into uh, being a dad until that stick changed colors. I was roughly 30 years old, uh, 31 years old when um, we got pregnant, 30, something like that. Um, 30 years of my life, I, I'd seen parenting, but I never thought, what kind of parent do I want to be? Do I just want to be a good parent, a godly parent? I never put any thought into it. I remember driving home from the hospital, walking out with this child, and I was waiting for security to stop me. Because I was like, isn't anyone going to ask me, have we taken classes, have we studied, have we read? They just assumed, you're going to know how to take care of this thing, and I had no idea. I was thankful that Kyla had done some babysitting and had been around some kids. I was amazed that they just let you take babies out of the hospital. That's how they do it. They actually encourage you to get out sooner than later. No, no security check on your background of parenting. You could be the most insane person, and they'll let you walk out with a kid, if it's yours. That's the key, if it's yours. <laughs> Put thought into men, if you are not married and not a parent, what kind of parent are you going to be? I would love to see some of the men in this community reverse some of those numbers that you're studying and learning and thinking and praying and preparing what you're going to be like as a dad. Not just the opposite of something you saw, but pressing into, gosh, I do want to be a dad one day. What kind of dad am I going to be? Don't wait till a stick changes colors. Start thinking about it now. And then lastly, you might be thinking, I'm never going to have kids in my entire life. I don't even like kids. Well, if that's true of you, um, one of the things I would definitely encourage you to think about you may never be a parent, uh, but I guarantee there's a kid in your life uh, that needs you to be loving and to be godly towards them because they might not have anyone in their life who is being loving and being godly towards them. I remember when I started out in ministry, I was doing youth ministry, and I can't tell you how many kids, uh, and P-Dub has been doing youth ministry a long time as well, 
how many broken, messed up kids uh, that we've met uh, along the way of literally just thrown out to the side. And some of the kids that I've met, I'm sure P-Dub has met along the way, you would think they're the happiest, safest, most secure kids because they're the wealthiest kids. Those tend to be the most broken, messed up, jacked up kids. So you might not be a parent or it might be a long time from now, but there might be a kid in your life who needs you to act like a parent to them. I'm not saying you be their parent, but you can be godly and loving towards them. This is not just a plug for Genesis kids, but we've got 20, 25 kids back there every Sunday morning. We need people who would see, I want to invest in some young lives. We got Laura Sterling and Jeremy Hamill who are trying to get something going at our church for youth ministry because there's a high school less than a mile uh, away from here with a thousand students. And they have a heart to love those kids. We need people in our church. You might not have kids, but that doesn't mean you're exempt from loving kids and being godly because you might be the only person who's doing that for them. What's the purpose of being a parent? If the purpose of marriage is to glorify God and display God in your marriage to your family, to those around you, uh, what is the purpose then in being a parent of having kids? If the purpose is just to have children, anyone can do that. Okay? I think what the Bible teaches is the purpose or the point of having children is to have children who become children of God. If you were to ask me, why did you have kids or what's the purpose of parenting or having children? The purpose of having children is to have children who become children of God. That's it. I want my kids, my heart's desire for them. Yeah, I would love for them to go to the greatest school in the world, Ohio State. I would love for them to have great jobs. I would love for them to get married. I would love for them to have kids. I would love them to be happy and successful, all of those things. But if they got to the end of their life or middle of their life and they completely had rejected God, I will have failed them as a parent. They might be happy, successful, have money, have a career, have a spouse, have a house in the burbs with a white picket fence and a dog to go with it. But if they don't know God, I have let them down as a parent because the purpose in parenting is not to do those things for our kids. Those are great, but that's not the point. That's not the purpose of being a parent. The purpose of being a parent is to have children who will one day become children of God. Deuteronomy uh, 6 really speaks into this. This is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'll just start at verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, laws the Lord your God directed me, being Moses, uh, to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. It certainly would seem that God's purpose in children and children after them is that they would know him, that they would fear him, they would have a relationship with him. Verse 3, Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. The purpose of parenting, of having children, of having kids, is so that they would love God, that they would be children of God. That's my responsibility. If you're a parent, that's your responsibility. If you're going to be a parent, that's your responsibility. If you're going to come alongside some young people now, it's to help them become children of God, to love God. That's the purpose. Three things that cover, well, how do I do that? If the point purpose of children is to become so that they become children of God, how do I do that? I know not what to do, okay? I can tell you some, some things from Proverbs, but in my experience of being a parent and experience of being around a lot of parents, especially through youth ministry, some of the things that I've seen that will absolutely wreck or hinder you from helping your children become children of God, number one is perfect parents. Perfect parents are the biggest obstacle to kids actually becoming kids of God, kids of the king. If you are a parent who is a perfect parent, why would they need Jesus? Why would they need a savior? We have parents who their aim is to be that perfect parent. And I think that fear or that, that drive to be a perfect parent is the fear that parents have. And if you're a parent, you can, I think this resonates, you want everyone to think you are the model parent. You want everyone to think that you are the world's greatest parent. Make a t-shirt for you of world's greatest dad or mom and your face would be on it. Kids don't need perfect parents. Kids need parents who actually be humble, who actually will be willing to confess sin to their kids, meaning confess when you make mistakes so that they can see that you're growing in humility, that you're growing in grace. They don't need your perfection. What your kids actually need is just you to be faithful, that you would be obedient. So if you're a parent who's striving to be perfect, stop striving for perfection and just start working towards faithfulness, towards obedience. Dads, how many dads are actually here? If you're a dad, raise your hand. Okay, just a handful. How many men in here as you consider um, that you'd actually one day want to be a dad? <laughs> okay. Dads, you can really mess it up, meaning you can make or break a family. Now, I'll be very serious uh, with this. Of If you are a dad who is just a dad by title and not a dad who is absolutely engaged in the hearts of your children, your children, uh, it will not go well for them. I'm not saying mothers cannot impact and influence their children, uh, but dads, I'll read some, something here in a second, uh, have the opportunity, a great opportunity, to influence their children in ways that moms can't. This is uh, a book I picked up a few months back uh, called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. Um, and it's actually uh, more of a sociological book on uh, fatherhood and the impact of uh, fathers on their daughters. And uh, this uh, woman, Meg Meeker, uh, is a medical doctor. She's a Christian, 
but she did more of a, a sociological study on the impact of dads um, on their daughters. She opens chapter one. Uh, title is, You Are the Most Important Man in Her Life. Men, we need good men. We, mothers, daughters, and sisters, need your help to raise healthy young women. We need every ounce of your masculine courage and wit you own because fathers, more than anyone else, set the course for a daughter's life. Your daughter needs the best of who you are, your strength, your courage, your intelligence, your fearlessness. She needs your empathy, assertiveness, and self-confidence. She needs you. Our daughters need the support that only fathers can provide. And if you are willing to guide your daughter to stand between her and a toxic culture, to take her to a healthier place, your rewards will be unmatched. You will experience the love and adoration that can come only from a daughter. You will feel a pride, satisfaction, and joy that you can know nowhere else. After more than 20 years of listening to daughters and dueling out antibiotics, antidepressants, stimulants to girls who have gone without a father's love, I know just how important fathers are. I have listened hour after hour to young girls describe how they vomit in junior high bathrooms to keep their weight down. I've listened to 14-year-old girls tell me that they have to do certain things which disgust them in order to keep their boyfriends. I've watched girls drop off varsity teams, flunk out of school, carve initials or tattoo figures onto their bodies, all to see if their dads will notice. I want you to catch this. All I have watched, all I have watched daughters talk to fathers. When you come into the room, they change. Everything about them changes. Their eyes, their mouth, their gestures, their body language. Daughters are never lukewarm in the presence of their father. They might take their mothers for granted, but not you. They light up or they cry. They watch you intensely. They hang on your words. They hope for your attention. They wait for it in frustration or in despair. They need a gesture of approval, a nod of encouragement, or even a simple eye contact to let them know you care and are willing to help. When she's in your company, your daughter tries harder to excel. When you teach her, she learns more rapidly. When you guide her, she gains confidence. If you fully understood, and men, if you're a dad or would be a dad one day, if you fully understood just how profoundly you can influence your daughter's life, you would be terrified. Overwhelmed or both. Boyfriends, brothers, even husbands can't shape her character the way that you do. You will influence her entire life because she gives you an authority she gives no other man. When I first read that, if you think I'm teared up now, that was a mess, and that was just page one and two. <laughs> it just cut to my heart of uh, God has, as a dad, given me a responsibility specifically with my daughter. I'm not saying not with my sons as well. Women, wives, um, mom, moms, I mean, I am not suggesting or implying that Moms don't have an impact or influence <clears throat> on their daughters or their sons. They do. But a lot of research has gone into uh, the role, the impact. I think one of the most helpful books uh, I've read uh, in recent months is called Gospel-Powered Parenting. 
And uh, there was a study, um, June 2003, a magazine published the conclusions of a Swiss study that confirmed this proposition. It examined the connection between a parent's church attendance and the future likelihood that his or her children would also attend church. The conclusion, the father's spiritual example was the primary tool that shaped his children's desires to embrace his religion. The mother's spiritual commitments were less decisive. In this study, and I want you to hear this, in this study, when both father and mother attended church regularly, 33% of their children ended up as regular churchgoers. When mom and dad went together, 33% went to, not yet on this quote, in this study, both father and mother attended church regularly, 33% of their children had ended up as regular churchgoers. But when the father was non-practicing and the mother was a regular church attender, two, two percent, two percent when their father was disengaged spiritually, disengaged in community, two percent of children uh, when they grew up high school, college, and beyond found themselves involved in a relationship with God and community with a church. Two percent of their children became regular worshipers. If the father was a regular church attender, but the mother an irregular or non-practicing church attender, extraordinarily, the percentage of children who became adult church attenders went up from 33% to 38% with an irregular mother and 44% with a non-practicing mom. So the study concluded it, it was as if loyalty to the father's commitment grew in proportion to mom's laxity, indifference or hostility to her husband's faith. Okay? Again, moms, I'm not suggesting implying that you don't have a role, but dads, I'm suggesting you have a huge role and influence on what becomes of your children. If you're a dad now, please be a dad. Be not just a good dad, anyone can do that, be a godly dad. Engage and invest in your children. Come to church with them, worship with them. Let them watch you love your wife. Let them watch you serve and give. Let them watch you love God. Perfect parents, dads who aren't dads. Number three, this is things that can hinder children from growing up to become children of God. Number three is undealt with issues or baggage from parents who neglected or shamed or wounded you growing up. Meaning you're the person right now who's got so many issues and hurts and pains and frustrations because of your dad, because of your mom, that you're just passing it along to your children. If you don't deal with that now, that cycle will go through the next generation and will go through the next generation after that. There comes a point in time where someone has to say enough is enough. I'm breaking this cycle of abuse, of neglect, of not letting there be love in the home, not letting there be faithfulness to, to God. Let that be you. If you don't deal with whatever was done to you or if you don't get healed of whatever, however you were hurt, you will just pass those issues, those fears, those anxieties, those worries, those pains to your little people. And they will grow up with the same issues that you do because you're not willing to deal with them. So if that's you, mom or dad or future mom and dad, 
Do the due diligence now. Do the hard work of wrestling, getting emotionally healthy, getting spiritually healthy, getting relationally healthy, so you don't produce kids who are emotionally, spiritually, relationally unhealthy. And number four of things that really just get in the way of kids becoming children of God, and I think honestly this is, might seem like it's not that big, but it's huge with parents, is just absolute laziness. I think one of the biggest things that parents, myself included, struggle with is it's tiring, it's exhausting, especially when they're small and growing. We're in that season right now of a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a four-year-old next week. It's just tiring. It's the reality of it. And when you get tired, you get lazy. I was so convicted. This happened, uh, I think, a month and a half, two months ago. Uh, In the mornings, Kyla uh, reads scripture with the kids and prays with the kids, and in the evening, I do some devotion uh, with them before they go to bed. And it was, I don't know, like 8 o'clock, 8.15, and they were already kind of late for bed, and I was just spent, was not in a great mood, Uh, was just one of those moods. And we usually do our devotions, got one for Riley and then one for the boys, uh, and then we sing uh, sing a song, and then we pray. And I was like, guys, tonight, we're just going to just, we're going to pray or sing real quick, uh, and started to actually sing Jesus Loves Me as fast as I could so I could pray as fast as I could and just, just wanted to be done. And, Dad, we always do devotions. Come on, we have to. I'm like, guys, it's late. I don't want to do this. Uh, and they just looked at me. Now, part of it was they wanted to stay up later because a good devotion could take a good 20 minutes to 30 minutes. Um, so I realized that part of it, but the look on their eyes was, Dad, we always do this. You cannot just not say we're not going to do our devotions tonight. And just in that moment, <laughs> God was like, are you listening to these people? Like, really? You're not going to talk to them about me because you're tired? You need a nap and you, you can't read the devotion? I think laziness is one of the greatest threats to godly biblical parenting. Parents who aren't willing to do the hard work of raising kids that one day would not just be children, but would become children or children of God. That takes work. It takes a a constant investment in your kids, especially when you're feeling pretty ornery, when you're feeling pretty tired, when demands of work are just all over you. Your kids are the most important thing to invest in, and laziness will be the thing that can pull you away from seeing your children become children of God. I just gave you four. I'm going to finish and do these very quickly. What are three things? If you're going to be a, not just a good parent, but a proverb parent, a, a biblical parent, a godly parent, so your children will become children of God. And I want you to know, I'm not confused. You can't make your child become a child of God. Okay? God is the one who can do that. God is the one who can work in their hearts and soften their hearts. It's by his grace. All right? I'm not confused by that. But I am also not confused or conflicted that God put me in my three little people's lives to influence and shape, model for them godliness. And so according to Proverbs, here are three things parents must do if you would see your children become children of God. Number one is you as a parent, love God with all of your heart. If they don't see it in you, 
why on earth would you ever think that they would make a decision to love God with all of their heart? If it's not being seen, if they can't visibly see a mom or a dad who absolutely just loves God, don't expect that your child would grow up to love God because they, they've never seen it. Why would they? they? They grew up with you for, say, 18 years, and they didn't see it. I like how Proverbs says this, Proverbs 14, 26. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children it will be a refuge. If you are a husband and a wife and a mom and a dad who fear God, and remember, fear God is to hate sin, to repent of it, to worship God. It's the man or woman who just loves God. Not some of the time, but all of the time. Not with part of you, but all of you. You are creating a, a home that is safe, that is a refuge for your sons and for your daughters. It's a safe place for them to grow up in. Why? Because mom and dad are right with God. And it's a great chance if mom and dad are right with God, they'll be right with each other. And if they're right with God and they're right with each other, imagine the type of home that is. It's a home where not only that child will flourish, but that child will also begin to desire loving God because he sees it, she sees it, and loving their spouse, husband or wife, because they see you loving your spouse. Parents, if, if I were to ask you, if you really wanted to bless your kids, like if you, you know, wanted to do something to really just, like the wow factor, really bless your kids, what would you do? I think it's easy for our minds, well, we'd come up with like the Disney cruise to Disney itself. I'd rent Mickey for the week and uh, we'd just do that vacation thing. You know, take them on a really awesome trip. Proverbs doesn't say that the way that we can bless our kids is by giving them things or taking them places. I like how Solomon says this, Proverbs 20, verse 7, the righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. Blessed are the children who have a dad, have a mom who love God, who lead a blameless life. Your kids will be blessed. The very first church I ever worked at, there was this uh, pastor, his name was Pastor Jack, and a really godly man, huge man, uh, but a godly man. And uh, I remember uh, talking to one of his kids, um, his name was Paul, and I said, Paul, just this is a side note, uh, the statistics uh, for families, pastors uh, who have kids, the numbers would tell you that your kids won't walk with God. 80% of pastors' children, 8 of 10, walk away from the faith. So if your dad is a pastor or engaged, involved in ministry, uh, it is a good chance, 80% statistic, that they will walk away from God. Why? Because the dad, the pastor, was actually married to the church, not married to their mom, and neglected his children in favor for the other children, so to speak. Or, well, I won't get into the other reasons, but... Point being, this guy, Paul, he was a solid guy. And so I asked him, Paul, what is the greatest memory you have of your mom and dad? Like, you turned out pretty good. You're walking with God. Like, you genuinely love God. So what do you remember? And the thing that he remembered, he said, Michael, I remember every single night 
I heard my mom and dad drop down to their knees and pray for us by name. I was like, wow. Now, P-Dub knows this. Uh, Pastor Jack was well over 300 pounds, and so when he would drop to the ground, it's a good chance a lot of people heard his knees hit the ground. But that being said, I love this man. He was a great godly man and influence in my life. That was the thing he said. What I remember most, what I'm most thankful for about my mom and dad, they didn't mention any trips, vacations. They didn't mention any of that kind of stuff. They said, I just remember every night I could hear mom and dad praying for us on their knees for each of us, for what was going on in our life, for our future. They were praying for our future spouse. That's what I remember about mom and dad. Proverbs 27, the righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. My friend Paul Watson was a blessed man because his parents chose the path of righteousness. Number two, if number one is love God with all of you all of the time, number two is train your children. This is a verse that has actually caused more parents harm than has actually helped them. But Proverbs 22.6 says this, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Parents have interpreted this verse often as a promise from God. If I do train my kid to be godly, it's a guarantee, it's it's a sure thing, it's a promise that they too will be godly. There's no promises in Proverbs. That's not wisdom literature. That's not how Proverbs are written. This is what you would call clearly a truism, meaning if you are to train the child in the way he should go, the chances are that he will walk that way. He will go that way. But it's not a guarantee. It is not a promise. I have met so many parents who, especially in youth ministry, Michael, we're doing everything we can, but our kid seems to be more interested in sex and drugs than actually doing anything with Jesus. Keep loving, keep being faithful, keep training, keep modeling. But Proverbs 22, 6 says if we do this, It's not a promise from God. It is a proverb that says if you do this, you are increasing the likelihood that your child will choose the way. Proverbs 22.6, the key passage or key phrase in that is the way. That's what I want you to catch out of that. I can point my kids to the way. I can teach them the way. I can talk about the way. I can walk in the way, I can model that for them. There comes a point in time where each child must choose for himself which way he will go. If I have walked that way well, if I was faithful on the way, the chances that my sons, my daughter, would choose that way is great. This is what Proverbs uh, chapter 4 says. Uh, says to, from David to Solomon, actually. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and only a child of my mother, he, being David, taught me and said, lay hold of my words with all your heart, keep my commandments, and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom. She will protect you. Love her. She will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it cost you all you have, 
get understanding. If you're a parent now, work with this uh, uh, hypothetical. If your child was grown up, say, 20 years from now, if they're roughly my age in terms of kids, and your child was to write a letter saying, this is what my mom and dad taught me, this is how my mom and dad instructed me when I was young, what would they say? Solomon clearly remembered his father David saying, get wisdom. Though it's going to cost you everything you have, get wisdom, get knowledge, get instruction. There is nothing more important than wisdom. If it was your child, looking backwards, what would they say? What would be in their letter? Well, mom and dad just they kept telling me to, to be good or to stop doing this or stop doing that. What would they say? I hope that my kids, and I hope if you have kids, that they would write letters, keep loving Jesus, keep repenting from sin, don't walk the way of folly, pursue the path of righteousness. That's what my mom and dad taught me. You can walk the way, model it for them, but there comes a point in time when your children will have to choose it. Number three, Love God with all your heart. Train your child in the way that he should go. And number three, lastly, and this is not a popular one, at least in our culture, is discipline your children. After, quickly, uh, after I became a parent, I quickly saw something in my kids. They were just cute as all get out. Uh, but I came across this quote from uh, Chuck Swindoll in a book called Growing Wise in Family Life. And he said this, Every baby starts life a little savage. He is completely selfish, self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his sibling's toy. Deny these and he sees with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. This means that all children, not just certain children, are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to his impulsive actions, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, or a killer. Why do children need to be disciplined? One more. David Paul Tripp said this, I, have, I never had to teach my children to hit one another, to be jealous, to speak unkindly, to push to the front of the line, to brag about their achievements, and to turn everything into a competition. I never once instructed my sons how to beat on their sister, ever. I never told them or taught them how to lie. I never did any of these things that he's talking about. Why do sons, why do daughters need discipline? Because it is the most loving thing that you can do for your child is to discipline them so that the self-centeredness that they inherit just from sin nature would be crushed, would be crucified. I'm not talking about crushing them, but I am talking about teaching them about sin and the importance of repenting from sin. It is amazing. In the hospital, I saw how selfish my children were. And you give them some slack, like, well, they're only an hour old, you know, cut them some slack. But a week into it, a year into it, I'm like, wow, everything that I just read is true. This is what Solomon says about discipline. 
Proverbs 13, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Proverbs 19, discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. Proverbs 29:15. The rod of cor- rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mom. Your children, if you are a parent now, they need you to discipline them. In love, not in anger. The most loving thing we can do for our children is to love God, show them the way, and discipline them. If we do not, we are letting their souls continue on in jeopardy. How many people here grew up getting spanked? All right, most of us. Well, if you lived in Europe, uh, that's against the law. And actually, in certain places in the United States, they're fighting hard to make things like spanking uh, against the law as well. Now, I am not, please don't misunderstand or misquote and be like, well, Michael said we're supposed to just beat the snot out of our kids in order to, uh, I got some verses that says, beat him with a rod and save his soul. So it's not like you're hitting your kid and be like, I'm saving you right now. <clears throat> It's not what we're talking about. If you're a child of God, you know one thing is true of your Father in heaven. He disciplines you. Can you imagine if God never disciplined you? He never corrected you. He never rebuked you. He never allowed you to experience and see the consequences of the choices that you were making. Would you declare that God is loving if he just let you do whatever you wanted to do, even if it was hurting yourself, hurting other people? The most loving thing parents can do for their children is to discipline them. I think one of the hardest things, though, about disciplining your children is to make sure that it's not done in sin. There have been many times where I was disciplining my child And I spank, and they don't like dad spankings. They're like, Mom, can you spank? Because please don't let dad spank. And I'm not trying to to crush them. But there have been times where I've literally had to stop because I was disciplining out of anger and frustration. And so one of the most helpful things, at least for me personally and for Kyla as well, is that we rarely discipline on the spot. Part of not disciplining on the spot prevents me, prevents Kyla from making sure that we don't respond to our child's behavior or actions in anger. Because if you're a parent, you know pretty quick you can lose it. And so we make them think about it. And that's actually more painful of, gosh, when's it coming? Is it going to be an hour from now? Is it going to be later tonight? But then when you finally remove yourself from that situation and you talk to your sons, your daughter, do you know why I'm having to discipline you right now? 
yeah, it's because I did this or I said this or I responded that way. The most loving thing that you can do for your child is to love God, to train them, show them the way, and then lastly is to discipline them. I'm going to stop there. Just want to uh, let you know, uh, I love being a parent. And I hope uh, that if you're a parent here today, uh, that you would say the same thing, that you are thankful that God has, just by his grace, allowed you to be a parent, uh, that he's entrusted you with some other uh, humans, entrusted you with someone else's soul. And I pray that if you are a parent, that you would take that responsibility ever so seriously, that you would not just have children who would grow up to be adult children, but that you would have children who would grow up to be children of God. And if you one day would think about becoming a parent, I pray that you will remember the most loving thing you could ever do for your child is to love God, to show them the way, to point the way to them, to model the way for them, and then to discipline them in love. I'm going to pray and uh, invite P-Dub to come back up. And uh, one of the things that um, we do uh, weekly uh, at Genesis is we celebrate uh, communion. And we do that uh, just to remind ourselves to remember uh, the great thing that God has done for each of us. Uh, That God sent his son into a sinful world to redeem sinful people so that sinful people would become righteous people because of Jesus. If you're a Christian, I just want to invite you to come up today, celebrate communion, give thanks to Jesus for who he is and for what he has done. Remember that he was without sin, went to a cross to pay the penalty for your sin, for my sin, that if we would confess him as our Savior, we would have forgiveness, grace, and mercy and a right relationship with God. I was talking to a friend, a new friend uh, this week, And I I asked just the question, what do you want more than anything? And they just said, I want peace. I want to have peace with God. And I just said, this is the beauty of the gospel, is you can have peace with God because of Jesus and what Jesus has done. If you're not a Christian, know that that's our heart, is for you to make the decision to become a follower of Christ, that you trust your life in his life. So Father God, I give thanks uh, that you have sent your son to love us, to demonstrate your love for us. And ultimately, uh, Jesus, we give you thanks that you paid the penalty for my sin and just the sins of the world, that those who would come to you confessing sin and seeking you as Savior, that you offer salvation, redemption, that you offer forgiveness for those sins, that you offer a way to have peace with God both now and forever. So God, we give you thanks for that. And God, I just want to pray one last time for the parents that are here. Give them strength to love you with all of their hearts. Give them courage to train and to to model for their children how to walk with you. And God, I give thanks that you discipline each of us. And I pray as parents we would discipline our children well in love, not in anger. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.